I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. And we have a super special podcast for you today because it's not just me and Sean Latimer. It's me and Sean Latimer and Blaine Carver, me, Sean Latimer, Blaine Carver, and James Andrews. There's four musketeers. Is there allowed to be four musketeers, Sean? Full house today, yeah. Full house. Sean loves full house. Takes all the money. So today we're going to be talking about my background in BMX racing and how investors should look at investment returns. You can tee us off, Sean. I want to start off by saying this might be one of my favorite Tom articles you've ever written. You and I have known each other for a long time, so probably... I'm one of the only people here at the Bonds Group that know a little bit more about Trevor's BMX path or past. And the funny part is even reading this, I learned something I didn't know. So uh, I, I thought you did a great job. Oh, I appreciate that. I like that before we started, uh, Sean came to my office and he started Googling Trevor Cummings BMX, uh, <laughs> which there was very few things that popped up. But Sean's like telling me these stories about, oh, you had a, a website? And I'm like, yeah, maybe that was a little bit background on uh, the seeds for Thoughts on Money. And then Sean was like, oh, this happened? I'm like, yeah, that happened too. I thought it was, I, I don't know why I enjoyed this part so much, but I enjoyed like telling the entire world that I was good at BMX, but I wasn't great. And the reason I like to say that is because amongst my, when my mom is bragging about me or I'm with friends that I mountain bike with that, you know, I've spent a whole life riding bikes and they haven't. And they're like, Trevor's amazing. He's so good. I'm like, yes, in that context, you think I'm really good at riding bikes. But when I go around my friends that raced BMX their whole life, I'm good, but uh, I'm not a Hall of Famer. That's so funny. When you're riding bikes with your friends, you're like, no, I'm just way better than you. That's pretty funny because I see it in youth sports today. Um, you know, my son and his friends, they play competitive baseball. And, you know, compared to the other kids in the area, they're all really good. But then when you kind of go into that bigger pond of all of Southern California or the nation, you realize like, oh, wow, there's some really good athletes out there. I think about that, too. So I've got two young boys. And so the soccer season has started for us. And it's fun, right? Five-year-old soccer kids. It's mostly just a hot mess running around the ball. And you think the kids are pretty good, right? They're all doing their best. And then there's just that one kid who comes out of nowhere and who's just clearly ahead above everyone else. It's just a natural gift. And you think, oh, okay, that's what really good looks like. <laughs> it's just completely different than your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. It's all relative, right? Who you're around, who you're talking to. Trevor mentioned, you know, his mom thinks he's a, he's a legend in the sport and, and I'm sure he is to her. But all of a sudden you get in a, a category of elite people in whatever area it is, investors or soccer players or BMX racers. And you might be a little embarrassed to say you're elite because you might not be compared to them. I'll butcher it because I don't remember the specifics, but I was reading like a little meme or something about Patrick Beverly, who's a, mm -hmm. a professional basketball player in the NBA. And he was talking about like in high school, wherever he was, he averaged like, I make up the number, but it was a big number, like 37 points a game and all yeah. these things. And he was talking about how he had to change when he was in the NBA, right? He had mm -hmm. to be like... He had to differentiate himself. So he wasn't going to be a scorer in that world. He had to be scrappy and defensive and vocal. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, wow, I never realized, but I guess it makes sense. All these guys were probably top scorers coming up the ranks. And then they had to kind of file in and play their role when they got to that level. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I've seen a lot of speeches, you know, of coaches talking to D1 athletes at universities or even professional sports. And they go like, hey, where you're from, you're used to being the best. You were, and there's stories of like Mike Trout, like he was the best pitcher at his high school ever. 
I think he's I think he pitched like thirty innings straight without a hit or something like that. And then he goes to college and they're like, No, you're not gonna pitch. Or you know, and it just shows how athletic these people are. And like you said, they find their role in the team. We went off on quite the tangent. We did. Now we have to pull it back and go back to finance. So uh, I'll keep making this analogy. We're going to have a shorter time today, so I'll encourage you to go read the article. But one thing I remember about BMX is uh, me and my good friend Tyler I grew up with, we changed our entire life to try to be better at BMX. Like we literally had a sign on our cabinet when I lived with him. It said, eat for fuel, not for taste, right? Because your nutrition even mattered. And we knew through the trainers we worked with, there was actually damage you could do in the gym. Like if you trained the wrong way, right? We were in a sprinter sport, so you needed to train for fast twitch muscle. But if you were some, you know, dad helping your son train for the sport and you're like, hey, just, you know, get on a mountain bike and ride 30 miles, you would, you would hurt their skill set. So we have to look at, hey, how does that relate when it comes to designing a portfolio? Everyone in this circle right now has seen this before where you're like, wait a tick. You tell me you want X, Y, Z, your financial plan, but then I look at your portfolio and it's A, B, C. There's absolutely no alignment here. So we realize when you train for a sport like BMX, your training should be objective-driven. What's the objective? To win. And when you design a portfolio, it should be objective-driven to fulfill the needs of the financial plan. Yeah. I mean, you see it all the time when advisors or investors will talk about their investment report and their performance. They always talk about the percentage return or the dollar return, but really that only matters in context in, you know, in relation to the financial plan. You know, framing is important. So maybe instead of starting a financial meeting off with performance, because that can wax and wane, maybe starting the, the conversation off with the financial plan. What are your objectives? And then uh, subservient to that are the, the asset classes and the performance. James, I know you're going to add to this, but I, I want you to even answer this question. It's a tough question. But if I'm a listener, I could think, oh, wait, is Blaine trying to dodge the conversation about performance? So maybe you can color that in in saying like, hey, I, I could see how that'd be interpreted that way, but let me tell you a little bit more. So those meetings are common, right? It happens a lot. What I like to t- tell folks is when you're working through the financial plan in the assumptions of the plan, we do target some portfolio performance, right? There's a benchmark that we have to hit that will fuel your plan to where it wants to go. So I like to start with the plan and say, hey, look, here's the benchmark. Here's your bogey that we're trying to hit. When we get to your portfolio to evaluate how it's working, I'm comparing it to your financial plan, right? We're not comparing it to the private equity benchmarks or these other things that might look good for a period of time. We're comparing it to what what matters most to you which is the plan in that. What would be the downside, Sean, if somebody didn't do that? Because I know, I can think in my mind, like what risk I see is that if you break those things away, but what comes to mind for you? Well, there's really two different comparisons that happen. First is making sure that you're comparing the actual investments that are in the same asset class. Uh, you wouldn't believe how many times people say, hey, you know I, know, I see that we own this and this was the result. Why didn't we own this instead? And and they're maybe comparing stocks versus bonds or or something like that. And so just a feed into your analogy, that's like having a BMX racer and being like, well, this guy on a motorcycle went way faster. Why didn't we have that? They're not the same thing. And then once you do have the same thing that you're comparing, that is the difference between performance and actual benchmarking. And typically, if you're looking at something like, let's just say stocks, it's a very vague term. There's a lot of different types of stocks you can own in a portfolio. I'll add to that too, because there's, there's an article I saw this morning and it's it's clickbait and I, it always gets me because it, it taps on that fear of missing out. Time out. Did you click it? 
I 100% agree. <laughs> Not on your work computer, right? <laughs> Never on my work computer. It's, uh, it's those CNBC articles that said, if you invested $10,000 in this stock when it started, here's what you would have now, right? And mm -hmm. it just taps into that, oh, what if I just did that, right? What if the what ifs and the fear of missing out? And it pulls you into a thought of trying to find the next big shiny object and you just feel like you're always chasing. And it kind of puts you on defense because you're just always behind the ball trying to find it. And so when it, you think about the financial plan and the targets and where you're trying to go, it's hard to fight the urge of fear of missing out because it's a real thing. You know where this kind of takes me to it, a little bit about BMX and kind of takes us a little further down the article. I feel like this terminology was very common to me in BMX, but I, I'm looking at you guys. I don't know if you've heard of these terms before, but since BMX was a year-round sport, there wasn't like an off-season. You might see somebody who's the best in the world, and they might get third place. And I think with virgin eyes, you might think like, oh, that, that doesn't make any sense. But inside the sport, you'd be like, oh, that's Sam. Like he's this far in his training schedule, and he's not peaking yet. And it's actually intentional, right? Like on how he schedules his rest, on where he is on like if he's doing squats or deadlifts and if he's at max or whatever, like his body is going to peak a certain time throughout the year and he's aligning that to some certain event that is uh, worth more, right? Like there's the World Series of BMX. It's not called that, but you guys kind of get that idea. Have you heard of that before in, in sports training of like peaking? Well, it sounds like uh, even though there isn't a, a true off season, that some tournaments are less valuable than others. Yes. So mm -hmm. it's almost like uh, the, the, this is like the rest period for the true pros because they're going to come back in the spring when they have the national championship and that's what they want to win. Yeah, you're 100% right. And it always reminded me, like when I started understanding finance, it's like, oh, you have to look at something through a full cycle, mm -hmm. right? Because, um, you know, you might have been so excited about your results in the stock market in 2021. And then you might have been so incredibly disappointed in, in 2022. And then you walked into 2023 not knowing what to expect. And then when you really looked at a chart, which we talk about in this article, all things are flat over two years, right? Those two years are not boring. They're actually quite exciting. A lot of disappointment and a lot of joy, but it got you right where you started two years ago. Yeah, that chart is interesting because it, it brings to light just the 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 great disparity between the stock market, right? Chasing the shiny objects. Some stocks can pull the average up. Some can pull the average down. And so understanding, like you said, I, I like that so well, like the full cycle, right? Having a long-term vision for that is really helpful because in any given market environment, someone is doing well, someone is doing poorly, but you can't know for certain what investments are quality or not, unless you hold it for a longer period of time to see how they how they endure during stressful times. Yeah, my my favorite thing to talk to clients about is you know the longer time horizon you have, the the greater percentage chance you'll have of your investment being positive, especially if you look at the stock market, right? Like and probabilities, so, pro probabilities exactly. So if you think about uh, trading days, only about fifty one or fifty two percent of trading days are actually positive basically flipping a coin. It's, mm -hmm. it's almost like going to Vegas, maybe a little bit better. But then you extend that to a month, it's about 60% of the, of the time, 60% of the months are positive. You go to a year, it's about 67%, right? So two out of every three years are positive. But then you start extending the time horizon to 10, 20 years, it's 95, 99% chance that your money will have you know, increased over those 10 or 20 years. It's huge. That framing is, is gigantic. And we know that expectations matter so much. 
And that experience for me, seeing incredible athletes, like totally okay with less than stellar results because they knew where they were on their training cycle was like, oh, like that's the highest level of maturity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as uh, Blaine was saying that uh, the other thing to keep in mind is we're, this is all historical facts that we're looking at. And, uh, you know, we're in interesting times now, you know, we're in a no growth uh, environment going to a polarizing election with interesting fed decisions happening. So that looking at historical results, it's really easy to say like, Hey, stick to the plan. But uh, I think that's going to be harder and harder for people to do. And then uh, I I was laughing when you're mentioning, you know, celebrating almost too early with your investment results. It reminds me of that guy like at the end of the race, who's like about to win, puts his arms up and he's celebrating. And then someone passes him like last second, your financial plan is the rest of your life. So the race is going to take a long time to get to the end. So uh, don't, don't be upset or don't celebrate too early. Just stick to the plan. Yeah, I remember training growing up, right? You always started with like really simple truths about racing BMX. And uh, one of my trainers always used to say that finish, the finish line is 10 feet after the finish line. So like it, you'd be reprimanded like 100% if your bottom was ever on your seat before you crossed the finish line. And if you ever caught pedaling or stopped pedaling before you're the finish line. So you pedaled through the finish line because there were so many times like, they were, there was a photo finish there's so many times where I would go back to the photo booth at the end to try to see what my result was. And there's a couple times where I passed people when they were sitting down at the end, maybe just one pedal too early, right? So it's huge. You have to pedal through the finish line. I would love, because we're constrained for time, um, to unpack a little bit about that section I talked about on absolute returns versus relative returns. And I'll, I'll tee it up a little bit. Absolute's quite easy. What was the result that you got? relative is the narrative, right? It's contextualizing it. I used to travel a lot for BMX and I could go out to Tennessee and I could come home and uh, somebody said, how'd you do? And I got second place. Was that good? No, it wasn't good. I went to Tennessee because not a lot of people were going to Tennessee for that event and I needed to get a win because the way BMX worked, your six best finishes were what was used to get your end of year ranking, right? So if I took myself all the way out to Tennessee, hoping some of the racers that were really good in Florida and in California might not get to that event, and I go get a second place, which I want six first place finishes at the end of the year, quite disappointing. But now let's say I go to the year end, what I'm calling the World Series, which isn't, but just making it relevant for you guys, and I get like a third place, huge. So understanding what's actually printed on the results, that absolute number, it's important, but you have to contextualize it with some sort of relative figure. Yeah, it makes me think about World Cup teams. So if you have a Germany or a Brazil, those those countries are going to the World Cup to win. Anything second place or worse is disappointing. But then you have some of these random countries that get uh, a spot in the World Cup and they're not they're not going there to win. Nobody expects them to win. But if they get to the second round, that's huge because it puts their country, their their soccer program on the map. And the same thing with investment performance, right? Everything's relative. And I think about uh, like emerging markets, for example. That's been just a black spot on performance for the last ten or twelve years. And so, you know, comparing the emerging markets performance towards something similar, uh, you, you have to be able to do that. This whole thought of expectations versus reality, absolute versus relative, 
It, it applies in investing and applies obviously in BMX, but it's also something that comes up often in our Bible study fellowships, right? When we're doing just guys groups, life is hard at times and having the right expectations for what could happen is really helpful because it affects your attitude. If you have a really high expectation of your week and then work is hard, your kids are struggling in school, home life is messy, whatever the case is, right? You can feel really bummed. Your expectations do not meet reality. And so it affects a lot of parts of life, just understanding how to control your emotions, how to have a right viewpoint on things. A lot of that's we talked about long time horizon, understanding what you're comparing yourself to. It applies to to finance, but it just it brings up a lot of other topics because it it's talked about a lot in our morning fellowships, which is with guys trying to manage households and life and, you know, finding a career and a life that they feel is meaningful. Yeah. So much of our job as an advisor is helping people with framing, not only giving like supporting evidence, but helping them change the way that they kind of see the world of investing. And I know like this next part that I want to talk about, this idea of attribution was so huge for me in my own investor maturity. I remember watching CNBC one day and it was it was actually a silly thing to say but the the guy was talking about like hey somebody was giving him a hard part a hard time about his portfolio that he manages and he's like you know why my portfolio is looking and feeling different than what you're comparing it to because I own different stuff right and it was like such a simple truth but not only do you have to look at what the absolute result is and make it relative but you also need to look at where is the result actually coming from. And I gave a fun story that Sean and I were talking about before uh, we jumped on the podcast. We had a race in Ontario, California. It was uh, like a world event. So people traveled all around the world to be there. And it was pouring rain. And it was an outdoor event. They couldn't cancel it. So you think of a BMX race being, I don't know, five or six straightaways with you know four or five turns uh, involved. It, they made it one straightaway. Because nobody could get to the finish line. It was that muddy. And the whole starting hill is cement. Uh, so you basically had one-fifth of the normal track. And it was the great equalizer. And there was a young man that would never have made it to the main event in the past. Right, You get through all these heats and qualifying. He never made it to a main event after that from my memory. He won that day. So he went home and he told everybody he won. Right, Everybody in the BMX world saw on the computer he was the winner. But what was the attribution for that win? The rain. You know what I mean? So I included a chart uh, that David talked about in the DC Today, and it shows the S&P 493 versus the S&P 7, right? And it, it separates the performance. I, I don't know the exact numbers. You can look. I think the 7 are up like 50%, and the 493 are up 5%. And then David points out in the article that those 7 are also trading at 50 times earnings, so if you're like the Bompton Group, where you only take your shopping cart where you think that prices are reasonable and you don't buy things that you would associate with speculation or being expensive, then you're probably going to look, you have to see the chart, a lot like the black line and not so much like the green line. It's just reminding us when we talk about performance, we have to pull the thread. We have to peel back the layers to understand where is the attribution coming from. Yeah, that chart is helpful too because um, I've kind of worked to it backwards with conversations with clients where I mentioned owning something at 50 times earnings and they say, oh, that'd be ridiculous. And then you point out to what companies those are and it is kind of an aha moment for them. 
and I'll wrap us up and I'll give everybody a chance to give closing thoughts, but it, it really does lead us to how difficult flat markets are. We can say that the last two years were flat and that's difficult, but man, I know we go here a lot, but the lost decade from 2000 to 2010, that's 10 years of flat markets that do cause anxiety for investors that are seeking to spend some of their portfolio and there's no returns to spend. And that's why the folks that have a microphone in front of them right now uh, like dividend investing because it's a very easy way to satiate a financial plan when there's income that is consistent and sustainable and growing when returns are nowhere to be found. Yeah, I think about the accumulators, you know, those of us in this room who are accumulating for many years. And, and what do we do? We, we bring in a paycheck so that we can pay our bills. And eventually, all of us one day will retire, right? And I think the hard thing for a lot of people when they go from that accumulation phase to retirement is all of a sudden they might have this portfolio, this pie chart of assets, but they don't understand how it contributes to actual retirement income. And that is what's nice about dividend investing. There's a, a dollar figure on your investment report that will tell you how much in dividends you can expect over the next 12 months. You know, I'll add on to that is when the years are challenging or if there's a down market or a flat market, um, this type of portfolio helps because you kind of can contrast two options, right? You have some of the shiny objects and if they're down, you're in the negative and you have to be patient, right? To get back on the upside. Um, when you're focusing on value type companies that pay a cash flow, you're getting paid for your patience. You're being rewarded for being a patient investor that's along with the company in the peaks and the valleys. And that's a great place to be for building long-term wealth as well as protecting your portfolio through rocky times is that patience is rewarded and I'd like investing where I'm being rewarded for good attributes like that. Yeah. And I would just encourage investors to uh, understand, you know, what you own in your portfolio. Trevor mentioned the last decade where there were 10 years of flat markets. And uh, I remember hearing a lot of investors talk about how it was either their advisor that picked the wrong investments or they, they weren't allocated correctly. And that's why it was flat. And so just making sure you understand what you own. So if you are going to play the comparison game, it, it's accurate. Attribution matters. Context matters. We will close out there. We'll ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. Um, you're welcome to get a hold of us via email. It's an easy email to remember. Tom, T-O-M, at thebombsongroup.com. You can address that to Sean, Blaine, James, or even me, Trevor. Happy to hear your thoughts, get your feedback, answer your questions. We will be back next week with more of our Thoughts, thoughts on Money. money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, 
and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.